Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we're just trying to make the world 10% nicer. To learn more about the club, you can visit us online or on Instagram or Facebook, uh, superniceclub.com, or text NICE right now to 310-421-0393 to join our Super Nice Club Insider community, where you'll get invited to uh, events, giveaways, this fun stuff now and then. 310-421-0393. You can text us if you want and ask for a discount code on Super Nice Swag. You know, hats, shirts, hoodies, stickers, just things that'll help spread the word and start conversations around how exactly we're going to make the world a nicer place because we need to. And if they don't start great conversations, we'll give you your money back. Yep. On to the good stuff, which is our super nice guest. This week, that's Paul Bessenbacher, or just PB. He's the musical genius behind one of the Super Nice Club's favorite indie pop bands, Opus Orange. This is an LA band with a lot of momentum, tons of creativity, and just so much passion for music. Every successful musician has his or her story of how they managed to persevere and keep the faith in their abilities, in their decision to go all in, when the world often pushes creatives to make much safer choices. I hope by listening to Paul, I hope by listening to this conversation, you'll feel inspired to go harder than ever after what you really believe in. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to put the brakes on while you head over to Spotify or Apple or YouTube or any of those streaming services that rip artists off and type in Opus Orange. That way you'll be able to dive into Paul's music as soon as you're done with this podcast, okay? Are you doing it? Type in Opus Orange. You know what? I'll just, I'll make up, I'll tell. I'll tell, I don't have to make it up. I'll tell, I'll tell a real one. A pointless story while you're doing that, I think. Okay, when I was uh, about eight years old, after my mom and I moved to Marysville, California, um, well, we had a dog named Spring. Spring was a St. Bernard and a, a German Shepherd cross. Big dog. Wonderful dog. Um, you put a treat on her nose, make her sit. She'd flip it up in the air and catch it in her mouth, right? Uh, so anyway, I went to the store for something, and I tied her up to a newspaper rack in front of the store. And when I came out, Spring had tugged on the newspaper rack to try to come in the store so much that she tipped it over, knocked it over, and um, there was change nickels and dimes and quarters spilling out of it. At first, I just like reached for the change and then I got really weirdly guilty and felt wrong about it and got freaked out and just untied her as fast as I could and just sped away. And there was your truly pointless story. Okay, so turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world and drop in to nice work with PB, Opus Orange. Paul, PB, hi. Welcome to the Nice Work Podcast. Really, really glad that you're on. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. So let's just get right into it a little bit. We're going to, let's talk about the formation of your band Opus Orange, but I kind of want to first just go with what's super duper current, which is your latest video and single that I love. And I'm not just saying that, that I love. Uh, it's called The Lucky Ones. Thanks so much for the love. It, I, I, am, I am also proud of it. It's, it's, it's a kind of a prescient track in that it has these lines, lyrics, the world is caving in now, collapsing upon itself, stay near me, we don't need anything else, change the locks on the door, stay in a while more. Now, you didn't know how those lines, you didn't write those during COVID, right? I mean, they're powerfully sad, but they're also so romantic. You know, this idea that the world outside there is all messed up, but you and me, babe, let's cuddle. That's, How is that's that? the idea, yeah, is that uh, the isolation and the intimacy within that, mm -hmm. Find, finding intimacy within, within isolation. When did you realize that that song was going to have extra, that it was going to be topically right on the money? You know, it was sometime during the making of the video, we, we hired a wonderful, she's a friend of a friend connection, um, artist Zwan to make the video, and we had we had talked late 2019 about hey she's 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 busy doing her thing, I want you to do a video for this song, and so we were discussing just schedule 
and then the album was going to come out in February. And, and then so that like deadline kind of passed as far as we were hoping like it would be around then that we would release this video. But she, timing wise, it didn't happen. But I still wanted her to do it because I loved what she had done in the past, in her past work. So the album came out and, and then we finally got connected on Let's Dive Into This Video. And that, the album came out in February. Mm-hmm. And we had some creative talks around then. And I, essentially, she just had full reign to do whatever she wanted to do. And I, we talked about why I chose her and, and the, the non-linear, the non-narrative quality of her work and the just the visual spectacle that this, the scenography, scenography, I don't know, maybe that's a word, but the scenic sort of altered world that she has created in her past work. That's why I, I wanted to work with her. So she, it's interesting. She was, she's in New York. She started doing sketches on March 13th when the lockdown started to happen in New York. And that's when she was, you know, in her studio starting to conceive of and make some sketches for this. So the video was for her was all created right in the thick of isolation and it really just matched up lyrically and that's just how it happened to go right just that's uh, how it happened to go wow and zuan if you're listening to this everybody check out the video for just just hit pause on the podcast just go to google type in opus orange the lucky ones check out the video the the video work that that zuan does is beautiful Uh, it's beautiful it's unlike a lot of stuff that you'll probably see and the transition at the end is magic to me so go check it out. And this is something that I, I found this online. Actually, I quote from her, and I found it super interesting. She said, in a way, the sketches provide a genuine depiction of my inner world during quarantine, constantly oscillating between hopelessness and hopefulness from page to page. The creative process unfolded as an ongoing conversation with the lyrics. Every page presented an opportunity to find new meaning to the same words, if sometimes in stark contrast to the day before. Uh, I love this. And I think that we can all relate to her struggle as we go through COVID and out here in California, where you and I are, uh, as we go through the fires. Uh, I also kind of have a personal belief that that, uh, we all wake up slightly different selves every single day. You know, at night, when we go through sleep and dreams and we sort the chaos and tidy things and shelve things and lock this up and free that up and you know, we kind of awake a new person, like 300, what is it, 65? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Subtly distinct versions of ourselves each and every year, you know, and she's talking about that in a way, this this contrast. When you go to bed and you wake up during COVID, it's really hard. It, it seems like things are um, almost uh, hyper actualizer, sort of, um, we weren't made for this and no one expected it. And like, emotionally and physically we're all going through this brand new communal globally communal thing Mm -hmm. where we're dealing with well we're dealing with ourselves in a really isolated way right and and that's the process like you said it you know we've all had dealt with grief and and how how grief can have its own unexpected process from day to day, week to week, sometimes years later, you'll get hit by a wave and like this, you know, that kind of thing. And this, the isolation of, of, of the pandemic definitely like almost compressed it and magnified like mm-hmm. these weird waves. Some days I feel useless and some days I feel productive. And sometimes I'm like scrubbing the tile of the bathroom. And some days I'm just watching Adventure Time on repeat. And like, you know, <laughs> and like these, how how we're all like navigating these uncharted waters as individuals is, is well, fascinating. And right. it, it's interesting to, to observe that. And it, it was, and back to the video, I think it's so super that she, and I, I, I feel it. I, I mean, that she created within those waves, within the, mm-hmm. within the back and forth, and within the struggle of what we are all dealing with. We're all dealing. It seems like we're dealing with this sort of. Uh, I don't know if it's quite schizophrenia. It's more of 
just the classic symptoms of depression, you know, the mm -hmm. wild mood swings. Mm -hmm. One day everything's great, then you look at the headlines and go, no, it's not, you know, mm -hmm. we're all gonna die. And this loss of control mm -hmm. is the big thing, or in like modern speak, this loss of agency that we're, mm -hmm. most all of us are experiencing, except for maybe titans of industry or Bezos and people like that. And they're henchlings, henchlings, hirelings, hench people? Henchmen? No, Hench persons. Yeah, the hench persons, the Bezos hench persons. Yeah, it's, it's really magnified that waking up feeling different ways about things. You go to bed feeling like, okay, I can deal with this. And the next morning, like, can I deal with this? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've seen, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's good to, al it's good to allow ourselves that. Absolutely. Um, that sort of freedom to ride the waves. Um, it seemed like at the beginning of this, there was so much advice going around, like, you know, bake sourdough bread or like, yeah, do all, yeah. like there was so much advice on how to be productive in this hard time. And I, I wanted there to be way more acceptance of the, of the sort of the bottom of that curve when, when we don't feel it and allow ourselves to not feel motivated and didn't go through the, the sort of the sine wave of, of this process. I, w I wanted more grace on that lower end of the, of the curve. Sometimes it's a big ask to have grace. Collective grace is a big ask. It happens. Yeah. Even for ourselves, tough. like internally, yeah. like allow yourself to accept yourself. Right. And not feel right. like, ugh, because when you're down there and you don't want to do anything and then you feel bad because you don't want to do anything, it's a, it's a downward spiral. It really is. I remember when things first started, a lot of my artist friends started creating like crazy. Like, hey, nothing else to do. And the canvas has just started filling up. The, the new songs were, were just filling totally. up. But now that it's been months in, a lot of it has slowed. As the sort of reality, this, this new sort of siege mentality, you know, has, has hit. Are you staying productive? You know, I was, I was thinking about the, those kind of creative curves energy-wise that, that I've experienced. And, you know, at the beginning, the first month or so, I was like, I'm going to, and almost everyone, almost every sort of musician artist was like, I'm going to live, live stream stuff. And, right. which is, which is great. And you and did. I, and I did. And I, and I really need, I needed to, like, I, that was a process that I was like, I need to, to reach out into the world and connect with people in a live connection way and to share what I need to, to, to sort of express and have an outlet like that. And it was fun. Like sometimes there'd be like three people and they'd be like my, my mom and a, you know, a couple good friends. So like, and that mm -hmm. was fun, you know, even, even in that life and the, the, the ephemeralness of that, Ephem ephemerality. I don't know. Uh, anyway, I lo I loved that whether it was three people or whether it was ten or whether it was thirty. But the, the that cur that sort of I did a I did a bunch of these and I needed to and I I followed that energy and then you know I I haven't felt the need to or the desire to do them in the past couple months I mm -hmm. think and it shifted my energy creatively shifted from like doing these live streams. And like kind of digging into the, even how the, how to do it technically, how to make it sound good and not just sound like your phone mic and garbled. So, cause I care about how things sound, but then it shifted to creating again. So in the past couple months, I've been writing a lot and that's not, I'm not sharing it outwardly because that, that energy has just shifted into like, I'm in my kind of bubble making whatever I, I, I w making whatever happens and I try to follow that energy and I try to allow that energy to lead me rather than me forcing an, an action that I think should happen. I, I let that energy lead me and guide me. And, and right now it's, it's, I'm sitting in the energy of I'm creating new music and writing new songs. Speaking of creating new music, I really want to talk about Opus Orange. Sure. Your band. So can you give, for those who aren't familiar, just a quick, however you want to do it, an overview of the band, when you started, who you got started, and sort of the evolution to, to today? Cool. So Opus Orange started when I moved 
from Chicago to Los Angeles. And at the time I was, I came to look for composition jobs. Like, is it possible to make music in the world as a living for a living? So moving to Los Angeles, full of hope and dreams, you know, who isn't when they moved to LA. <laughs> I, I remember at the time too, websites were, you know, Oh, make a website so you can share it with potential people to show what you do. I bought opusorange.com and, and then, um, the, and the, again, this wasn't meant to be a band or an entity or an artist name. I just bought that because it, it was available and I combined some two words that I thought were, you know, had some meaning to me. And then as far as the entity of the, the band is concerned, just yesterday marks the 10 year anniversary of our very first release, which is kind of fun. Hey, way to go. Yeah, way to go. 10 years. Happy anniversary. Did you do anything? Um, I, I made some mezcal margaritas. I like it. Yeah. What's your what's your mezcal of choice these days? Um, this one was El Silencio. I made a simple syrup, too. That was kind of fun. You know, how do we celebrate these days is so weird. We're all alone in our homes. <laughs> well, I am anyway. Toast ourselves. Yeah, I think a lot, a lot of people are. Um, you've been going 10 years. When prior to that did music scream out to you and say, you know, I've got to do music. I've got to I've got to because you you moved out here to do it. Right. How old were you when you realized that this had to be something you had to pursue? You know, maybe in high school was when it became apparent that I was going to pursue it in college, on the college level. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like when we are, if we're going the college route, it's like, what are we going to do with our lives? Music was growing up from seven until high school. All, uh, I, mm -hmm. I was consumed with music. Were you a band um, kid? Were you like a school band kid? I was a piano player. So band with piano didn't happen. I couldn't be in any orchestras or wind ensembles, but um, jazz ensemble for sure. And our, our jazz ensemble in high school was great. One of the best in the state and really good people. Some of my best friends that I still see these days came from that. Um, choosing to do it, going to college to study classical piano performance was a, was it was a move and it, it was like a it's almost a career move because you're gonna I'm gonna invest four years into classical piano performance so it's it's almost like choose like you, the question was something about choosing to do it as a career so I think it, it felt right. that important to me it felt like that was a move and then post-college was that college in Chicago yeah, I went. It was Wheaton College Conservatory of Music in Chicago. Wow, nice, nicely done. Yeah, and it's. It, I didn't do it because I wanted to be a classical piano performance made uh, performance career. I didn't want to like be on the stage doing classical piano, and I knew I didn't want to be a teacher, but I did want to learn the art form of classical piano as best I could. So it was that that wasn't a career move. It was I want to learn it and get and like dive deep into this art form as best I can and put in the time, put in the, put in the energy to, to get a, a degree in classical piano performance. I'm curious while you were doing that, while you were at Wheaton, what kind of music were you listening to? Were you into like the indie rock scene? Were you a reggae kid? Like what was your, what was your go-to? What was I go, my go-to in, um, I'm trying to think like there I remember discovering Nick Drake. Oh yeah. Um, Those Ryko Disc re-releases came out right around that time. Ryko Disc, yeah. 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 Um I remember just it, on that note like Richard Buckner. I remember he was on Ryko Disc early on. Uh the, that kind of folk alt thing. Um what else was I into? I mean I was probably into things like the Indigo Girls and you know too. You had the presence of mind back then to realize I need to dive into this other stuff that nece isn't necessarily my real passion, but it's going to be important skills for me. Yeah. You know, as a, I, this is a general rule for me. I love playing classical music and I love playing jazz with good people. And I really don't love listening to either one. Like I almost have a, I almost bristle up 
when I have to listen to it. Those aren't my go-to listening things, despite the loving them and playing them and the performance of them. But I, I you know, almost, yeah, I almost have an aversion to listening to them. I mean, there's definitely a big difference between music listeners and, and musicians. You know, I'm a music listener, for example. So I, that, I think that makes a lot of sense. A lot of people don't really like to dive into geeking out about the thing that gives them release. Right? Sure. They just want to do that thing. Um, speaking of, of release, you, you seek nature to refresh and stay inspired like a lot of people. Um, you were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. How's that going for you during COVID? There are only so many places we can go. We're all trying to sneak out and find like our little nature spots that aren't crowded. And now the fires outside are like, hey, don't go outside. Are you still able to do that regularly? And does it, is it, do you have a challenge with that? Um, it is definitely a challenge. Living here without a car is a challenge. Um, it, living in Santa Monica here. Um, so I, pre-COVID, I could take a Lyft or an Uber somewhere. I could take mm-hmm. the train somewhere. Now, I haven't used Uber or Lyft post, you know, March 13th or something. And I definitely have not got on a train uh, the public trans, which I love. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I, I, I relied on those. And so it's definitely more isolated and a smaller bubble I'm living in geographically, a smaller radius. So now I, I polished off my, my cleaned up my own, my own bicycle. I used to use the, the city bikes too. I love utilizing city transportation infrastructure. And, and here it's really, really, really good. Most people don't think of LA that way, but it's awesome. And once you get to know the buses and the trains, Mm -hmm. I do a hybrid, like, again, this is pre COVID, but doing a hybrid sense of, of travel with, with the city bikes, with the, even sometimes the little scooters, although I, 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 I fear them because I would probably fall and die and stuff. But um, sometimes the buses, a lot of trains, and a little bit of the you know Uber, Lyft. Um, so that that kind of hybrid travel is great. Anyway, at any rate, so these days it's it's small, and I I cleaned up my own bicycle, and I you know got a good lock now. And like when you have city bikes, you don't need to worry about locking them up anywhere. The small radius is is a bummer, but I'm also fairly content, which I try to be in life content in the sense not in the sense of not wanting more, but being at peace with yourself in a situation. I have a studio down the street that I bike to, and it, it's only a couple miles, so it's fine. Um, and then I have some socially distant beers with my good friend and and drummer James and we and Jeff and we those these are all these are guys from high school jazz band by the way um and, and have we, they been in in uh, band with you the whole time um James has been in since he moved from Sacramento I don't know f- five or six years I don't know I don't know what time means anymore but I yeah I've played in I played in a rock band with James in in high school so we we go back a long way uh, but but biking to have some socially, physically distant beers is on the lawn is really nice. As far as getting out in nature, I have a couple times we went out to Idlewild, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, not too far, two hours probably in a car, um, and rent rented a car for that trip. Got out to Idlewild, did some camping, did some hiking, did some chilling at an Airbnb as well. These times are weird. I mean, even that was stressful in a new way that I wasn't ready for. Renting a car was stressful in a new way that I wasn't ready for. Just like how you approach the car and like having, you know, some sanitizing oh, wipes wiping it down ready to go. Like that kind of thing? Yeah. Like that yeah, kind of thing. And like, like, I recently took my first COVID trip a couple of weeks ago. And there were Airbnbs involved, and it was stressful. Like, it's have you stressful. rented this out before? How long has it been since somebody's cleaned it? Yeah. You know, all that kind of stuff. And is this responsible? Should I even post about this online? Like, I'm on this trip. Are people going to hate on me? Like, you shouldn't be traveling. They're right, probably. 
Right. And at the same time, if you can get out just for the sanity a little bit, you know, and I just, I happen to love the Pacific Northwest, uh, Washington, state of Washington. So good. You know, getting out there. there, it's just, it's beautiful at every turn. Had to do it though, but it was stressful. Pumping right. gas is stressful. So I want to ask you about a whole bunch of things, but you're in LA now and you came from Chicago, which made me wonder about the, what do you think of the LA sort of creative and music scene these days? And LA gets a lot of slag from, you know, a lot of other cities. And I love Chicago, by the way. And I love the Chicago music scene historically, especially the, the indie rock scene. And some of my very favorites come out of Chicago, all time favorite bands. Shout out to Captain Jazz and Bobby Kahn and mm. uh, company. Julie, uh, what do you think? What's the, how do you like the LA music scene? Is it supportive? It was definitely a shift coming from Chicago. Chicago is communal. Um, people played music to play music with all sorts of bands. It was very, um, you know, the band member scene was incestuous in a good way. Like people would be playing with all sorts of bands all over town at all at all given times, and that that was vibrant. And I think I think it was a it was a sort of fertile ground for creativity. And I think that that's why Chicago's scene was is so dang good like the the bands that are coming out of there are just highly creative and doing just cutting edge good stuff or even if it's not cutting edge it's like very creative awesome here mm-hmm. moving to LA bigger city a uh, bigger like industry anyway right um i i felt it right away the shift is the sense of community is reduced it feels like this, I mean, this is, these are some broad strokes a little bit, but we're talking broad strokes between cities, but um, it, or at least my experience of them, um, the sense of people wanting to get together to play music was driven more by each person's individual goals f- for themselves and, and how they are going to get something out of either you or the experience or what, what is it doing to benefit um, the individual um, instead of the art? And, and, and it is, it seemed to be a little bit more driven by money and success and, and pop and labels and, and these kinds of, um, I mean, there's, there's so much, there's so much pop. It's, it's just a little bit more poppier than artier. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Oh man, now you're 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 reinforcing all the LA stereotypes. Dang uh, it! But you're not. I don't think you're wrong. I don't. And the the what you said about and you know obviously I'm not a musician, but just from my experience in Chicago, it's so spot on to what I experienced with people that I know out there. The community aspect of it and people playing just to play. Yeah. To get together. Oh, let's bring so and so in and let's just play. You know, and that that created so many bands. The beauty of LA, I think, was just once you. Once you realize the challenge of LA, then it's a matter of like, now I can scratch under the surface because LA's there's a lot of gl- surface stuff that happens trans- transactionally, personally. Um, scratch under the surface and you find your people and you find the roots that are underneath the surface and you and you find you find your people. Not that it's not there; it just took a little more work than Chicago, so it it got there, and I'm I'm. You know, the the pool of people and friends and collaborators and talent that I that we're all swimming together in is rad now. Like there there is a great drive to make good music and collaborate and play on other's stuff and make art. Um, yeah. And that, so it, it is here. It's just a, for me, it was a little harder to find and a little harder to but digging under the surface is great and that's where like you know the that's where i found my fertile ground and my people that i that we love playing music and creating all kinds of music with all kinds of people so it you know it yeah I, no it's it's a huge pool ultimately it is yeah. because it's just such a big city yeah uh and i've been a fan of los angeles for the longest time but i also get that that uh the two-faced nature of this town you know, sure. is brutal. And it says a lot about you that you can come down here and stick it out 
and the passion that you have for continuing your career as a musician. What have you had to do to um, maintain that? Because, you know, there are very few musicians who are raking it in, right? And, and, and California is incredibly expensive. Have you ever gotten to the point where you're like, ah, I don't know, I might have to take like a, a normal person job, you know, 24-7 now? Uh, ever been close? Absolutely. And it's, that's a, a current, <laughs> you know, it's a current situation. Like we're all, yeah. we're all sort of, well, not we all, I'm struggling. I don't, I don't know if everyone is, but a lot of people are, and I'm one of them. Um, to, to, to figure out how to to live life and manage the adulting aspects that we all need to manage by living here and um over the years yeah it's it's a it's a tough one um the the music for hire that i love to do like i love to write music for other people that's like and, you know, this is beyond or a sort of a branch of me. Opus Orange is, a, is one branch and then another branch is making music for others and not just for myself. And I love that. I love that collaboration. Um, but that that sort of um, transactional and possibly business relation of th- of that is uh, it's hu- it's a hustle. It's a hustle to get business, get repeat business. Mm-hmm. get good collaborators relationally and with the business trying to find its legs right now it's even it's even tougher with production down and the production in LA is is very important if you're not shooting videos and films you're not going to need music later like it it <laughs> trickles down no. from from the um production aspect so when you talk about writing music for others, are you chiefly talking about scores? You did a film score for a film, which I haven't seen, a mile, mile and a half. The track Whitney is one of my favorites. Oh, nice. So is that what you mean, doing film scores? Or you want, you also did a, a more recent film score. I can't remember the title of it. Um, yeah, My Indiana Muse. Yes. So film scores is definitely one of the things I just love. Again, I love the collaboration with a director, with with other creatives that don't do music to elevate their project and to make their project the best it can be experientially. How uh, early do you get involved in that process with I, scores? Ideally, very early. With both those, that was the the connections through those have become my dearest friends. So at like mile, mile and a half, I met a group of people through now known as the Muir Project, John Muir, the Muir Project, that were going to hike and film and capture sound and art and photography along the John Muir Trail in California, in the Sierra. So I met them. And then while they were shooting, we got to join them on the trail for eight days and that was great so like that was you know i mean i don't think we even knew at that point that it would be a documentary film Mm -hmm. at that point so anyway that was way way early on in the process and it was experiential you know yeah you know i was i was backpacking with these wonderful people if you're not from california you might not have heard of john muir definitely worth the time to just Research the guy, Muir, M-U-I-R, John Muir, just a uh, super badass proto-environmentalist who uh, would be super upset about what's happening to some of his favorite places in the world right now. Or maybe he wouldn't be. Maybe he would be saying, hey, you know what? This is part of the refresh and renew cycle that is so amazing with nature. What do you think? What do you think John Muir would be his thoughts on the fires right now? Uh, prob- probably heart- a little bit of heartbreak. And a little bit of, like, that's what nature does. Not to get too distracted by John Muir, but um, I want to ask you about, and I I hope this isn't one of your least favorite tracks, but my favorite track, probably one of the popular ones, uh, Next World. That's the song that hooked me. And I don't know if it was just a Spotify recommendation. I can't remember what it was that that got me into uh, Opus Orange originally, but that's the song, lyrically, that's just got this... Again, this this beautifully dark romanticism to it. Talk to me about Next World. Um, yeah, I I mean it's a deeply personal one, and a, a little caveat 
or disclaimer is I, 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 I do rarely dive into what um, songs mean to me because I want them to I want them to resonate with the mm-hmm. listener in any way that the listener might adopt it. So something you can about, talk about where you were when you were recording it. You know, I don't care. Just give yeah, me something. Yeah, yeah. Something. The next time I hear it, I've got, it's dimensionalized a little bit more. You know, what were you eating? What were you <laughs> eating when the lyrics came to you, you know? Sure, sure. Um, to take it to take it very personally, my, my dad was dying at the time of cancer. Um, and, uh, you know, with that comes all sorts of process. Um and how we how we how we deal with either not seeing someone again and what that feels like and what what you go through and yeah. um and also at the time a good friend um Naresh from high school he he passed and um it was all loaded up in there um Actually, Naresh and James and I used to play in a rock band in Naresh's garage in high school. Anyway, um, so anyway, the idea of not seeing someone again, and you know, it's a, it's even it's even relevant these days. I've I've to myself in this time, I'm like with isolated, being isolated that like we are. I was like. I wonder if there's people I might not see again. Yeah. That, that's like on the bottom of the of the sign curve of of the right, emotional right, right. roller coaster. But I'm like, yeah. I wonder if there's people that I might not see again, right? Because of what's happening, because of the difficulty of travel, because of what whatever. It might be a while before things get back to travel. Like I don't know. And there probably are people I won't see again. And that you know that's that's a it's a theme that's continually relevant, whether it's absolutely whether it's death, whether it's a uh, a goodbye, whether you're moving town, whether there's a pandemic. Uh, you know, it's something that that to me always has a has a relevance. Yeah, next world is a is a great breakup song. You know, for all the different types of breakups. For all the different types of breakups. All the different types. It is. It's just a beautiful song. Uh, my father thank, as well to cancer, and uh, every oh, every loss to cancer is a different story, obviously, and a yeah. different relationship that we have with the father son relationship thing. There's so much that comes with that, right? Right. Um, well, I'm sorry to hear it. And and the caring, right? That that we, if we're lucky enough to be able to do that intimate caring in those in that. Uh, in those days, that role reversal, right? Where our parent yeah. becomes the one that needs to be nurtured and, and lifted to the toilet and, and things that are very intimate like that and right. uh, can be ego destroying for the, the parent. Right. And one day it'll be our turn. We're gonna have uh, our decline and that's okay. Part of the... You know? and, I think, and I think seeing your parent go through it makes, I don't know, maybe it's different for different people, but for me it was like, okay. I have no fear of that now. Right. You know, that's just the cycle. Right. You know, not to get too dark. I'm sorry, guys. But here's the thing, though. If you listen to Opus Orange, at least for me, what I love about it, the lyrics typically and the songs bring you through highs and lows. And they're earnest. They're not this sort of, some bands are great and they're purposefully melancholy, just through and through. And they'll offset melancholy lyrics with really upbeat, you know, music. And that's the thing, right? There's an earnestness to the music that you make really beautifully evidenced to me by the song I mentioned earlier, uh, Let You Down, which is, it's just so honest. In the song, uh, PB sings about how I'm going to let you down eventually. I'm going to let you down so completely. Uh, Stick around and see. I'm going to let you down. Let's just get that out of the way. Let's just get that out of the way. How honest is that? What if you start a relationship and you sit down with someone? And I kind of have since then. I've taken this song to heart in a way because it's so real. You just sit down and say, hey, we love each other. I'm going to let you down. And then Paul brings the song around at the end and says, you're going to let me down eventually. And so completely, you know, stick around and see. And that doesn't have to be seen as a negative. The reality is all people will let each other down at some point. And, you know, if you just sort of be honest about that in the beginning and get that out of the way, you know, get that out of the way for what? For maybe something really beautiful. 
It's it's a love song. Yeah, it's absolutely a love song. I and wanted to put that on its head because because we go into relationships with I don't, I don't know, a little sometimes not eyes totally open, but really all expectations will be thwarted eventually. Will um and that's that's a good thing. And so coming into a any relationship with that sort of I call it a romantic realism um, mm-hmm. with, with that it, it uh, t- to me it is, it's freeing um, I agree and I think it's also super romantic it isn't it isn't pessimistic although yeah, I can understand it's not pessimistic at all to no, me it's like the, down. the sort of like key to unlock a long relationship mm-hmm it's going to happen in a hundred percent of long relationships. And that's okay. It's what do you do from there? Yeah. You know, great song. Have you had uh, much feedback on stuff? Do people write you and say, Hey, PB, I just, these lyrics, because as a lyricist, you're somebody whose lyrics are, are super uh, approachable to a lot of people going through a lot of things. I would imagine you would get messages. Um, on occasion. Yeah. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a lot. Again, we, we're not, we're not a successful artist by it, by sort of not by any means, but by I don't know. I'm pretty realistic about this stuff too. I know, I know that we're not making pop music that's meant to be consumed by millions. It's going to be consumed by whoever hears it and resonates with it, and that's not a. It's not going to be huge, and I'm I'm okay with that, and I actually, I kind of treasure this little little space. But with that, the feedback. Um, is is occasional and it's really meaningful. Not not that it wouldn't be meaningful if it wasn't occasional. I mean, that'd be right. great. You know, I'd lo- I'd love it if there was lots of feedback. But when I when I do hear that a song has resonated or helped someone through, or that gets me. And even on our small scale of listeners, it it really means a ton to me. You know, back when we'd be playing live, and uh, I miss playing live, and someone would approach and like there'd be like 10 people in a in the club like there to see us and it's it's you know it's humbling and we still have a lot of fun but then there were more people than that when i came to see you in the bay area all right more than 10 people there was there was a room full good good but when somebody comes up to me after the show and says that they you know that this song helped them through a hard time or something like that 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 gets me that's i write music that resonates with me in hopes that it may resonate with someone else. Yeah, that's... Well, that's why you're on this podcast, and this podcast is going to just, you know, quadruple your sales. Wait and see. I do think maybe, though, I'm challenging you, don't sell yourself short. Here's my prediction. I'm going to make a prediction. I don't make a lot. My prediction is this, because I've been uh, uh, listening to you for some years, and I've seen the consistency of the work. I think you're going to sneak a gem onto a soundtrack at some point. And that is going to be a song that goes big and get some licensing and get some money under you and get some attention to you. I think that's what's going to happen. You're going to end up with uh, one of those sneaky soundtrack hits. I like the prediction. I'll take it. I'll oh, take it. Just don't give me a when. Yeah, okay, uh, great. Just keep going. Until Ten more it years. Happens. Uh, however long it takes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I heard your reference, by the way, uh, your little aside. Uh, we all miss live music, and we're so sick and worried about what we're going to come back to the venues that have disappeared um, or turned into, you know, EDM joints or restaurants. It's, it's just, or restaurants or EDM restaurants. Um, yeah. Right. I, I wish I could just somehow funnel many, many millions into uh, the live music venues around the world, because most of the people that have the independent venues are not doing it for money. They don't make anything. And it's a brutal, it's hard work and it's, it, you know, it's not a pretty place when the, when the lights come on these venues, you know, it's, they're doing it for the love of music and to share that music with us. So we've yep. got to support our, we've got to support our, our, uh, our acts. So PB, I do want to get to our really, the really, really exciting part of, of the podcast, which is each guest gets to issue a challenge to the members of the Super Nice Club, just something they can do to make the world a little bit nicer. You have been uh, warned that this is coming. So what do you have? My, my challenge is to 
uh, for everyone to connect with someone that they haven't. And it could be a phone, it could be a text, it could be an email. You know, I just last night I called my old piano teacher. Um, oh. I'm sorry, lose it a little bit. She's in a she's in a home, um, and I haven't talked to her in a while. So, um, yeah, do that. Connect with someone that you value than that you haven't in a while. Yeah, it means a lot to them. I'm sure it meant a lot to her to hear from you, right? Well, I, it, she didn't, the phone didn't pick up, so I'm going to try again tonight. Ah. Okay, so everybody, pick up that phone. The phone is so much better, by the way, than, than texting or emailing. It's real. It's your real voice. And connectivity is lost so much these days. So pick up the phone and don't text people asking if it's okay if you call in advance. Just just be old school. Just pick up the phone. Call somebody that you've been meaning to connect with or that you know would love to hear from you. That's the challenge. And just do you can just do that right now. There's nothing stopping you from doing that right now um, unless your phone isn't charged. And I'll bet that it is. So if your phone is charged and on, call somebody right now. Uh, and then lastly, do you have a question for me? Any question? I, what Throw it got, out there. What got you... What got you pivoting to podcasts and what were you doing well, as a two-part? What were you doing before? Um, you know, you were talking about how when you moved out to L.A. and you're like, oh, and websites were the thing. So I made a website, Opus Orange, because you just felt like you had to have a website, right? Mm-hmm. With the Super Nice Club community, it's felt for some time like you just kind of have to have a podcast. I mean, there's, I think, 350 new podcasts launching every single day. That's a lot, so just like when there were a bunch of websites coming out, it's not like having a website was going to change everything, but you needed to have one, right? So if you have a community, I felt like you needed to have a podcast. And I dragged my heels for well over a year on it because I'm just not really conversant with podcast culture or the mechanics of it. And so I've had to learn everything from scratch. And I also really thought, did we need another podcast? I took a course from Rob Cressy. Rob Cressy's a podcaster. He has five or six podcasts, and he offered a, a, a course, sort of a crash course, you know, pay money, and, and you learn everything you need to know about how to become a podcaster. And it's the paying money part that made me do it. Because when you invest in something, you have skin in the game. Yeah, I right. could have done everything that I learned from Rob, I could have learned in other places. He put it together in a way that was very bump, 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 bump. Watch these 10 videos, do these 10 things. You will have a podcast. And you know what? I did and I do. Before that, it was mostly communicating through social media with the members of the Super Nice Club. I don't love that. I especially don't love Facebook. Um, I'm trying to, like we've stopped advertising on Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. Their policies around um hate and things like that just are not strong enough to endorse them and that really hurts that hurts like you know merch sales and things like that but you know whatever you you can't be the super nice club and endorse questionable ethics right right although it's difficult i know it's a whole different conversation but uh, so before that it was mostly social media and i was finding it more and more difficult to really engage people because it's such a crowded space and now we have it. The podcast is here. And Congratulations. You are number 30, and I feel like finally kind of figuring it out. Um, and I'm finally listening to other podcasts. And that is just really intimidating. <laughs> you know, these great, these great hosts right. and things like that. But it's, uh, it's something that's becoming sort of part of the routine now of the Super Nice Club. And anybody listening out there, if you're passionate about your work, you know, what you do as a career, if you have a high passion for it and you're interested in talking about that, reach out, you know, reach out to the podcast because that's really all we're looking to do is talk to people who are examples of people who have committed themselves to making their passions into at least part of their career. Obviously, a lot of us, especially in the creative world, we have to have other multiple jobs in order to continue to do what we love to do. And, and that's okay. But if you're out there and you have an interesting story or you know somebody who does, you know, reach out. Love to have you on. I'm always really long-winded on those answers, man. That's that's good. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Thanks for So sharing. what's next? What's next for, for Opus Orange? Uh, you just have a... a the, the album out now, are you going to put out some more videos, quote-unquote singles? The, the very next thing on September 
4th, I don't know when this is going to air, but on September 4th, we're releasing um, a remix EP of The Lucky Ones with four remix artists that I just cherish and love. Um, so there's going to be four different interpretations of the song. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to yeah. uh, seeing you at the Santa Monica uh, Farmer's Market one of these Sundays, now that it's there, back we went, up and running. Oh, I'm there on Wednesdays. Wednesdays, yeah. Sundays. Ship's I'll, passing, right? I'll be there. <laughs> um, hey. And real quick, I, I am going yeah. to, I am in the process of recording this new stuff that's in, the, that's in, that's coming out of this COVID isolation action and and seeing where that energy goes so there's eight new songs in the works and i don't know what the timeline is for this stuff i i rarely do i rarely like force time on things if they need to gestate they gestate if they don't need to that's great and i follow that energy but i'm i'm excited about this new stuff and it's it's in process so stay tuned what's the best place for people to find you on the internets i i mean it's on all the three social main hubs, which is Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Right. Um, and we... And I, is that call the at... Sc- screaming into the void. Yes, it's uh, at Opus it's Orange. It's at Opus Orange. At, at, bleh, bleh, at Opus Orange. That's right? the one. Uh, and opusorange.com. You still, you're still holding that down. Still holding, holding it down. down that URL. Good. Okay, so opusorange.com, everybody. Also at Opus Orange everywhere else. Please do check out the new video and the new track and the new album. And then when you're done with that, just start with the catalog from first album forward, right? And write us a line. <laughs> Let us know what you think. PB, thank you for being on today. Thank really you, appreciate it. Really look forward to everything that you do next, as long as it's good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I try. I'll try. As long, I, you know, as, long as I like it, I hope you all like it. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. And there you have it, a super nice conversation with super nice Paul Bessenbacher, PB, Opus Orange. Uh, really just fantastic person. And I, I had the pleasure of meeting with Paul after we recorded that conversation at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market last Wednesday. And just a great guy. Just a great guy whose work I'm a fan of. I hope that you are now. And remember, remember before you started listening to this I told you an incredible story about a boy and his dog and and the love between each other or something like that. That's when you were supposed to queue up Opus Orange. So I think you have. I trust that you have. It's time to hit play. Stay nice, everyone. So what? Big deal.